Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of 15-Minute Free Thinking. I'm your host, Carpo, or Joshua, if you prefer. And in today's discussion, I'm going to do something I wouldn't say unique, but perhaps unique to my usual discussions about mental health in general and well-being. One of my main intentions in my podcasts and on my YouTube channel, as much as my YouTube channel has changed over 11 years, I mostly have the intention of sharing views that I see in the world, issues that I see a certain way, not in hopes that everyone agrees with me, not in hopes that I'll get a bunch of views, but my intention behind everything that I do is to try to not just bring people closer together, even though it may not seem that way sometimes, but to almost protect the future generations from the same bullshit that we've all fallen victim to. The same ad campaigns, which is why I, you know, I'm always dissing on, quote, influencers, the fact that they literally influence you, or complaining about, you know, wealth problems because I see the disparity in wealth in those who do suffer, or complaining about certain issues within the community that people find important, because that is what we need to talk about. Issues that affect our daily lives, because ultimately the most important topic is mental health, how we feel about ourselves and about the world. And this can change from day to day, depending on the food we've eaten, depending on the situation that we're in, our economic status, our relationships, whether or not our house just burned down. All of these things play a role in who we are at any one time, but the thing we forget so much, the fact that our perception is very unique to each individual, and it's literally shaped by our expectations and intentions. Everything we see is basically our brain decoding what our eyeballs have in their field. We only see a part of the story, and the same goes with hearing, the same goes with feeling, the same goes with looking at the world in the way that we think we can see things a certain way and that the world is a certain way, and we're usually completely full of shit. So what I thought about was the fact that the internet and what it's done to us, you know, we've always had information, but never so much information in one place. And I thought, in the past, I thought the internet would be a great place for us to share our culture. But the direct opposite has happened. Instead of the internet being a place to share their cultures, their creations, or things they've done, which it is used that way, obviously, but our culture becomes the internet. We have created a culture out of the internet, and therefore internet becomes a culture within itself. The reason this is an issue is because people are not doing well when they're constantly immersed in social media. We have serious issues with people wanting to do, quote, digital detox. They're willing to spend money and go to places just to not look at their phone. And I think that this is a major issue because every one of us is affected. Every single one of you out there is watching this video. Maybe you're the kind of person who just watches videos once in a while and doesn't use the internet that much. But if you're like a, probably a majority of the people out there, at least a couple times a day, you're sitting there scrolling through your phone, 
through YouTube or Instagram or whatever it might be, Facebook, God forbid, and uh, analyzing things that you really don't even see. You, you're, you're scrolling mindlessly because it's a great distraction from life. So the meme culture, the, which was, of course, the term meme was coined by Richard Dawkins, and it wasn't really the same thing, but a meme today is <clears throat> a short-term, quick expression of a societal problem or issue or something that people find humorous. And the fact that so many of them relate to the internet itself means that the internet has become its own culture, if you will. And the fascinating part of this is that none of it's real. A person might say, well, what is real, right? We put on a face when we meet people too. We put on a face at work. We're not always completely ourselves. But more often than not, um, if we actually meet with people face to face and talk with them, uh, it's a completely different world. You know, the, the way that we interact with people, we're more patient, we're more understanding, and we get the gestures that people can share with us, how they're feeling, whether they're irritated or laughing. You just don't get that on the internet. And so <laughs> one of the funny things about the internet culture is that witty has become trendy, trying to be the wittiest person, make the funniest joke. But those jokes are always uh, self-aggrandizing in the sense that they're basically amplifying an already over-the-top internet trend. And uh, I'm not here to talk about the internet. I just wanted to get that part out of the way. But the, the important things here, um, a few of the important topics I think we need to address are, number one, talk to people face-to-face -face, in real life. It becomes harder for a lot of people when they've spent so much time interacting with icons and, you know, when you have just avatars as your description of who people are, it doesn't give you any sense of how people really are. The reason why this is such a problem is because there are a lot of people out there who think the world is dirty, crooked, corrupt, everybody's screaming, everybody's angry, and fighting, and the fact is, a majority of people are not that way. Most people just roll their eyes and don't comment on those things, or just move past it. If I see an inflammatory video, for example, I don't click on it just so I can comment, but a lot of people do, because that is rage bait. It gets you in there, it gets you angry, or makes you laugh or smile, you know? I mean, shit, there's kitten channels just posting videos of kittens, and they make millions of dollars because people need that moment of laughter or happiness amidst their day. And this is what I mean. It's catered to how we feel. If we're angry, we can look up something angry. If we're feeling like we want to laugh, we can look up a comedy sketch. And that's good. But turning off your phone, going outside and seeing the real world is something a lot of people just can't seem to really do. And I have young kids, so I understand a 12-year-old who's a gamer, you know, the real, real world just becomes kind of boring when everything you can immerse yourself in. And this is, this is why I don't care for the metaverse. This is why I'm not a big fan of cryptocurrency or NFTs or any of the digital tokens or future norms. I mean, sure, when I was younger, we were promised hoverboards. Still waiting for that one. But uh, in reality, you find that maybe that's not what we wanted anyway. I was always skeptical about hoverboards. Uh, because <clears throat> as a skater, I like to do kickflips. And I thought, how do you do a kickflip on a hoverboard without it just flying away? But anyway, 
I'm sure that would all be addressed by some Earth's magnetic resonance. And it's my point being that, that our view of the future back in the 80s was that it was going to be amazing. Now that we have even more technology than we could have imagined, we're starting to realize it's not what we wanted. We want an analog life. Whether we know it or not, we really want an analog life. And often we don't have that choice. So we take up a digital life instead. I was, I heard someone speaking the other day and they were talking about how, what would happen if the satellites went out, you know, and would people be able to navigate their own way home from some places? Like, back in back in the day you would learn how to read maps and a compass but even in the 80s we were still using like you know Haynes manuals and looking for landmarks and today it's just everybody's looking at a screen even to to drive somewhere and uh we've kind of lost touch with that it's not about the technical aspect of it of being prepared so you can you know get around during a catastrophe it's more of the idea that when you're really immersing yourself in active awareness of the world around you it's very satisfying and you can learn a lot and just people aren't interacting kids walking through the parking lot at my son's school mindlessly with their phones in their hands walking through traffic and it's like am i the old man yelling at clouds am i the the okay boomer generation well no of course not but uh gen x we kind of scoff at all you people who <laughs> think things are one way or another and of course that's a joke generations don't matter either it's all about your own perspectives um but even something like reading a book people say well what's the difference i'll read it online or i'll watch a video it's long form understanding long form experience how many kids today can sit quietly and just watch a sunset Everybody has a short attention span. But when it's affecting the future generations, when you have garbage like TikTok infiltrating their minds, all you can do is just kind of roll your eyes and try to train your kids as well as you can. Teach them to meditate in their own way. It's much more important than people realize. Just relaxing, not just literally meditating with you know the lotus position or any of that crap. By just sitting quietly and just being for a moment and smiling and being kind, talking to people, not being an asshole. Very simple concepts. But here's where we get into the next component of this discussion, which is, what do we really expect? Now, I know a lot of people have had a lot of issues over the past couple of years with depression, anxiety, not just because of the pandemic, but all the ongoing issues we have with the economy and kind of looking at a bleak future where it seems like the billionaires get richer and nobody gives a shit about the average person. I want to take a moment to say, fuck all that. Don't worry about what the world does or how it will change or not change. Don't spend your life worrying about whether the climate's changing or fighting against or for some cause that you think is the only important cause. If that's your thing, go for it. But my point being, you need to be able to realize that each individual has a different perspective. You're never going to get everyone on board with how you think. So when you have people from the left and the right screaming at each other, what are you trying to resolve? And then you dehumanize people 
calling them losers or idiots or, you know, using ad hominem attacks on it through the media to attack and scathe anybody who has a different opinion or even listens. That's even the weirder one. Anyone who even listens to a different opinion. Like the whole Joe Rogan being called a transphobe and a hater and all this. It's just not who he is, obviously. I've seen Rogan enough to know that he's not that kind of person. But when all you hear are bits and pieces, you don't get that long-form discussion. You start to think the world's a certain way. So, I tried to think of a way to define myself. Like, what do I want out of this life? Like, what do I think are the right ways? I consider myself a stoic and a skeptic, and a realist. I'm always trying to learn, but I want to see the world for what it really is. But I'm also a philosopher, an artist. I'm a seriously inquisitive person who always wants to learn something else. But I learned a while back, while I was learning about learning and learning about learning about learning, (laughs) that the most important thing is to realize that knowledge is not the be-all, end-all of anything. You will not get anywhere. Even if you had all the answers, you probably would not be satisfied. And many of the questions we really don't want answers to. Even some of the big ones, the ones science won't answer, like, what is our purpose here? Do we have an existence for a reason? We've created all different types of religions to explain this, And there are as many people professing to these religions as people who are arguing and fighting against them. Once again, let go of it. Don't worry about what other people believe. Build your own reality. Build your own realism and your own example for yourself of the world you want to see. We have to stop playing the victim. Even when we are depressed, even when we are anxious, even when the world seems to just be falling apart, if we give up, We've let the enemy win, even if that enemy is our own ignorance. It's Look, when I look at the world around me, I I usually follow Occam's Razor, which is an old philosophical standpoint, which basically says the most likely scenario is usually true. It's uh, it, it comes up all the time, it, with a, especially with conspiracy theories or with philosophies about life or existence. It can get a little more complicated, but when it's just like you know, one guy's giving an answer, 10 people say it's this is the answer, and one person disagrees. Usually Occam's razor says that the other 10 scientists are correct, but not always. And that's the key. That many of us grew up thinking that there was a consensus reality. That there are experts out there who have figured out the world, who can teach us the proper way to live, what to believe or not to believe. You know, when we're young or at least when we were young, and, you know, back in the day. Kids today are pretty damn smart. Um, We just really believed when you hit a certain age, you just get all the information you need and live your life. It's complete hogwash. (laughs) It's total nonsense. Um, I decided a long time ago to be unique because I already felt uncomfortable and awkward as a teenager. I had bad acne, I had a mullet, you know, because I thought it was pretty cool back in the 80s. But uh, anyway, I became a a heavy, I was a heavy metal guy, Hesher, as we called ourselves. Uh, You know, went to metal concerts and stuff and wore metal gear and spikes and whatever I could afford. Never could afford the cool spikes, but uh, pierced ear and all that stuff. And then I became a skater a couple years later. 
And uh, both metalheads and skaters are very anti-authority, anti-society. And we would definitely get kicked out of a lot of places skating and treated like second-class citizens, if you will. But the the reason that that's so important is because it shaped part of who I am. I looked back on myself now and I think, okay, these were just people doing their job. I'm not supposed to be skating on their property. They have customers. You know, I, I get it now as an adult, of course, but even back then I got it. There was a part of me that was a rebel, but I was always respectful. We'd usually leave. I wouldn't scream at people or say, fuck you, even though that sometimes that was, it would depend on how they interacted with me. And I'm the same way on the internet. I, in fact, I've carried that through my life. That's how I always am. Um, I try to be, I'm totally cool with people. Um, and respectful, but the minute they try to point the finger at me or make a claim about, you know, you damn kids or skaters or, you know, demean me. If a person tries to demean me in any way, I instantly just go off on them. Just don't have any patience for it. Because it's not about getting angry or offended. It's about standing up for yourself. And, but on the internet, that takes a whole new level. Because when I was a skater and I was confronted by somebody in a store, I would have my discussion and we'd move on with our lives. We don't know each other's name or really care. You do something like that on the internet and then you get, you know, doxxed or swatted by somebody who doesn't like you. Like, I heard Tim Pool's been swatted like 10 times. I don't really watch the guy, but, you know, I used to just have this assumption he was a certain type of person, a right-wing idiot, because I'd never listened to him and that's what I'd heard. Come to find out that's completely not the tr truth at all. Kind of like with the Joe Rogan thing. And so the point here is that we're starting to discover, finally, that the internet is not the real world. doesn't represent the real world. It definitely doesn't give you a full picture of what's going on. It's a series of little echo chambers. And instead of making people feel empowered and strong, it's making people feel weak, angry, stressed out, and divided. And I've bought into it in the past, too. I'm definitely very cautious about my political views. You know, I don't like to, because I don't believe that anybody, any politicians really have our best interests at heart. Because people are people. And maybe that's a little bit nihilistic, but we're tribal when it comes to politics. We're tribal when it comes to religion. There's tribalism within even the audiophile community. People who listen to music, like I made one about records the other day. Um, musicians. There's tribalism among doctors fighting amongst each other. You're wrong, you're wrong. And then there's the alternate healthcare industry, which is not just arguing with doctors, but with each other. There's tribalism with class, with wealth, with race, with heritage, with traditions, with men and women and the, and the MGTOW, the men going their own way groups, or the red pillars, or the incel group. People who I don't point the finger at because anybody who's desperate enough to spend their lives chastising the other sex, whether it be feminists or male, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or a toad. Uh, if, if you spend a bunch of time going out and attacking an entire group of people, it's unhealthy for you. It's unhealthy for them and nobody benefits from it. So that's what I'm getting back to here is what does matter then? We want to stand up for causes we believe in. We want to be able to speak out when things aren't going the right way, when we think something's wrong. And at the same time, it just makes us complainers. But often it makes us victims. And the minute we get to the victim role, 
it becomes a big problem. I've always thought outside the box since I was young, and I like to develop my own opinions and ideas about what's important. And even though I've been pulled one direction or another because of misinformation in the past, I always come back center and realize, okay, I was fooled. I'm willing to acknowledge I've made mistakes on judgment in the past. However, thinking outside the box means being isolated. Isolated from groups. It's a very lonely path. And, uh, damn it, see, that sounds like a victim. It's a lonely path. Oh, poor us, the independent thinkers. You see what I mean? You see where that goes? You just are who you are, and you do what you do. It is a lonely path when nobody wants to agree with you on everything because you're always disagreeing with half of what people believe because they're in a left or right camp. Or even when I'm arguing or debating with an atheist and a Christian and I don't agree with either one of them. It's, it, it's weird to be in the middle, but not because I'm in the middle, but because it gives me the perspective people are so damn polarized. I mean, it's worse than I thought. Now, I've done a lot of in my life, uh, as much research on the human psyche as I can with my layman knowledge and awareness that I just try to absorb the things I can. Sometimes I have to reread things or learn again later, so I really pick it up. But I've found that pattern-seeking behavior is one of our most prominent features of being a human. Now, pattern-seeking, there's a great book called Hallucinations by an author called Oliver Sacks, S-A-C-K-S. And it deals with hallucinations of all different types. He worked in the medical field, and he dealt with patients who were suffering from all. It's an amazing book. It talks about, you know, some people will be sitting in a room, and literally just a little creature or a guy will walk across the desk in front of them. It's not that their whole field of vision is seeing something different. Just one different thing in their their visual field. And this is extremely common. I mean, in the big picture, when you look back through history, uh, how many people may have had this and thought they saw something they didn't and spent their whole lives trying to prove they saw this UFO or this little green guy or whatever it might be. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But what I'm getting at is that we yearn to confirm what we want to believe is true. And it's very hard for us to admit that we may have been wrong or that an error in judgment because it makes us seem weak to ourselves that how could my brain be wrong? But I want to tell you right now, I think that this is one of the most beneficial things you can do for yourself. This means stopping taking yourself seriously. Letting go. When you let go of giving a damn what other people think about you as far as criticisms, I mean, constructive criticism is different. But when you start seeing things for what they are, you realize that so many people are yearning to be part of a group because it fits their patterns, because they seek a certain type of political or belief pattern that this helps them to believe that they are correct, because it's way more comfortable. You have a serotonin rush when you're a member of a group, when you're hanging out with people who agree with you, and... Um, People do not like ambivalence. And, you know, that's the same as basically just not being able to really know how you feel about something. You know, it's uh, it's that feeling when you know that, when you tell yourself that you stand by a certain belief or idea, but deep down inside you're conflicted. Those are the most important ones that we have to be honest about with ourselves. 
it relieves so much of the pressure. It's kind of like if you have a particular view on, I don't even want to give examples because then it'll overshadow the discussion. But I've had a few of these talks lately, you know, over the last couple of years talking about, you know, um, different traits of humans that we kind of play the victim status on. Um, I think that one of the biggest issues that we have, and I may be wrong here, is looking to others for the answers. Not just looking to others for the answers, but looking for the truth. There are people who listen to other people, and I'm one of them. I love to listen to podcast discussions with left or right-wing people. I don't care. You know, I listen to Christian discussions, theology. It doesn't matter to me who the person is, as long as they are authentic and they're speaking from the heart. And the important thing here is being authentic and speaking from the heart does not mean that you're right. But all of us are wrong if we don't at least listen. So I like to listen to others, but I never look to them as heroes or experts because that is basically because we're scared. I feel that's because we're scared as humans. And being scared as humans means not just being literally fearful shaking in our boots. To me, that just means that we don't like the ambivalence. We don't like the unknown. We have a cognitive dissonance on one hand. You know, when give, give you the idea of nihilism. A lot of people would think of nihilism as an atheist belief, right? Nothing matters. And I heard this, somebody wrote this uh, simple sentence that really stuck out to me that I read the other day. It said that Christians are the ultimate nihilists, sacrificing this life for hopes of a better one in the next. I had never really considered it that way. I mean, I've considered the idea, of course, that it's always been absurd to me that some people figure, well, I'm just going to give up on this one and say, well, I better work towards the next one. But I never thought of it as nihilism, but it is. And the, the irony there is that you would never expect it to be nihilism within a religious community where there's supposed to be hope. But when you really look into these communities, the hope's not there. People with belief systems about God are just as scared. They are just as unsure as the general population, depending on the individual, of course. But in this case, they're looking to priests or to the Pope for answers. They're looking to a, quote, expert or authority on life. And I have found, at least, those don't exist. There was a time when I thought maybe some of the gurus in the East, you know, some of the Buddhist monks, had discovered some unattainable awareness that others could get if they had, you know, practiced similar procedures. But I quickly realized that sitting and meditating and, you know, in the mountains in a cave is not really conducive to the environment of the world I live in or raising kids. And I kind of laughed at it and said, this, that's their path. Um... You spend long enough in one reality, and that becomes your reality. Maybe it works for them, and I think that's good. But we kind of idolize and romanticize that Eastern, you know, calmness that you got to realize there's even angry monks. In fact, if you look at what happened in Myanmar with all the Buddhist monks out there slaughtering villages, uh, it, it's crazy. It's just crazy we can't associate any type of beliefs or ideas with good or bad. And that's what nihilism comes down to in a way. I think we also need to give up on trying to find answers. And I, what I mean by that is to the final question, the big question. 
um, don't expect answers. Doesn't mean we can't listen or wonder, but don't expect an answer to life or an answer to death. Or often when people say an answer, I always say, well, what is the question? You know, is there an afterlife? Okay, well, do you want to know how specific it is? These things people get way too hung up on. The only thing we truly have, the only thing in this world that we, you know, truly have is our reality right at this moment. That's it. Nothing else. The history is past. The future is not here yet. None of the things we, quote, own in our life, we actually uh, have anything to do with who we are right now. We are these floating consciousness in this, in this body that we don't even comprehend how we got here, why we're here. And that can be an existential dread. I was on the subject of nihilism. There's different types, and actually existential nihilism was one of those. And realizing that some people really have built a new reality. Um, the reason I brought nihilism up was because when you hit rock bottom and realize that nothing really does matter and mankind's creations are pretty much just bullshit, then you can move forward and go, aha, where do I want to go from here? What do I want to do with my life? And who do I want to be? And even if that fails, who cares? Just being authentic is what matters. And that led me to think about freedom. <laughs> What is freedom? Freedom is not the way to think about rights, our rights. But rather, freedom is the right to think the way we choose. And I thought of the... To repeat that, it's not the way to think about our rights. It's the way to... Have a right way to think? Yeah. I'm not sure how I would put that. Um... Most of our lack of freedom in life comes from self-imprisonment. We choose the damage we do to our own psyche, whether we know it or not, because we have more control than we realize. I'm not just speaking to you as some authority on this. I suffer from this too. Sometimes it's hard for me to get up and just motivate myself to do the things I know I need to do. Um, life can become difficult. It's more complicated than just get this done and be this kind of person. You know, we're trying, and many of us are struggling, but as long as we stay on top of our own, you know, the reality and give ourselves the credit we deserve for the things we do and realize this life is complicated and difficult, and getting away from the internet for a while can really help with that. The thing I think a lot of people don't realize is that there is no destination, and I'm not just talking about achievement or afterlife or any of that saying that there's really no final place to be or state to be in or status to be in or you've got your black belt right there's always something else to learn there's always new things that will take the place of the old the same way you never retire when you're 65 you just move on to doing different things people want to keep working they want to keep thinking they want to keep functioning and we never get to a particular destination. On the contrary, we, the journey itself is the destination. And I suppose I should connect that to evolution because it just popped into my head that I've often used this to describe how I feel about evolution when people say, well, evolution happened or, or, or it's still happening or it's either evolution or creation, right? I say, no, perhaps evolution is creation. 
in the sense that in our puny little human minds, we can't grasp the concept of the length of time it takes for things to evolve in this universe. And we are just one little mosquito bite on the path to a much bigger universal change, which in the end may be something that is beyond our comprehension, or maybe not. But the evolution itself and the fact that things become and systems become more complex, to me, only shows there's some sort of a blueprint that is unfolding. And I look at human evolution like the blooming of a rose. And I have no idea what stage it's in right now. I don't know if it's still a, a green bud or if the petals are already falling off. Um, because I'm a human and I can't grasp those time, that size of time. So, um, on a few final notes, often our fears hold us back, our stress, our anxiety. I've had to conquer a lot of this back in my 30s. Um, 99% of your fears never happen. We worry about things that will never happen. We just magnify the problem when we look on the internet and see that other people feel the same way. So, it's kind of like, I guess you could call it the, uh, you know, WebMD syndrome, right? Remember years ago when people would go and look and, you know, uh, assume that they were going to be, uh, that they had cancer because they had a little sore arm or something, you know, because I think the internet really blows things out of proportion. So, uh, at any rate, there's a lot of finger pointing, a lot of complaints, and they only go so far. We need to educate each other. We need to educate ourselves and uh, be honest about who we really are and who we really want to be. We can't get dragged down by all the bullshit in the world because we're doing ourselves no service when we do that. We're playing the victim. In a sense, when we complain about how hard life is and you know how difficult things are, it may get us some sympathy, but most people are facing the same thing. This is why, as a human being, I try to be a smiling person. I try to be friendly and kind to others. And once in a while, I meet somebody who's like, well, you wouldn't understand my life's hard. And like, you know what, buddy? All our lives are hard. And we make them harder by wallowing in our own pity. It doesn't do anyone any good. We really have to step out of it and get back to, you know, remembering at least a time in our life where we had a little bit of comfort and solace because you're never going to be as happy as the illusion you have of happiness. That guy, that the millionaire by his pool or, you know, the famous rock star, whatever it might be, movie star, you want to be a certain person or like a certain person and you think that lifestyle exists. And I personally have never felt this way. I, I know that it's not the reality, but there are a lot of people out there who really think that there is some goal to attain, a certain you know person to be that will make them their happiest. And it may not exist. Ultimately, we can't choose what happens to us. We can't choose our circumstances we can't choose the things that we have to face, but we can choose how we perceive them. And that's all comes down to mental alchemy. And I would recommend listening to some of the more boring, manly P. Hall videos or audio recording from the past. Uh, there are some real gems in there about that, you know. And uh, 
But at any rate, Alan Watts always made it a little more fun. Kind of a Zen Buddhism twist to the whole thing. But uh, I suppose I should go now. I've got to pick up my son from school. So that ends the podcast. Didn't expect it to be this long. Um, I tried to make a video version of it, but it just cut off after a half hour. So whatever. Maybe I'll share that. Maybe I won't. At any rate, I'm just... As I said, my intention is to try to empower people as much as I can without being arrogant and thinking that I have some enlightening truth to tell you. I don't know all the answers. I just know what I've learned. One of those is being stoic, being a skeptic, a philosopher, a realist, being inquisitive, but also being soft, being kind, being gentle on myself in the world, and realizing that life is short. you got to make the most of it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out some of my other podcasts. If you're listening to this on whichever platform, I'm sure it's available. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, which is called uh, Carpo719. And uh, I just started an Instagram for Carpo Craft Guitars, which is where I've been building my guitars and trying my hand at uh, making some electric guitars. And beyond that, If you'd like to support my efforts, the link for uh, Patreon is in there. It's Carpo719, and uh, I'll be posting up some extra content. Often I'll do the podcast video version as just a link to my patrons. So um, beyond that, I appreciate y'all. I do this because I like to share ideas, and uh, I hope you gain something from it. Be well. Give yourself a hug. And have a good day, my friends.